Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Cubitt. All right, let's get started. So just so you know, we're going to teach today out of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. Um, and, and I'll get to that in just a moment. <clears throat> but that's, that's where we're coming if you want to go ahead and, and find that in your scripture. So we've been talking about Jesus, God revealed, is the name of the series that we're in. And how Jesus truly does reveal to us who God is. And so we started this series with... Jesus, the power of God, and continued last week with Jesus, the authority of God. And we know that Jesus reveals who God is because Jesus himself in John 14, 9 says, if you have seen the Father, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, right? And so what I'm hoping to do in this series is to show you Jesus so that you'll know who God is. But not just so you'll know on an intellectual level who God is, because your intellect's not going to get you anywhere, but so that it might move the 18 inches to your heart so that you can truly be intimately familiar with who God is. Because when we come to a place where we are intimately familiar with who God is, then we begin to realize, we're capable of beginning to be capable of realizing who we are. I'm confident that most people don't step into the calling they have because they don't trust God is going to have them and hold them in that calling. And that only happens when we don't truly understand how much God loves us, how much God considers us. And so that's my hope, is that through the series we can see who God is and in recognizing who God is, who he created us to be. Amen? And so we're, we're going to do that today. The title of the sermon today is Jesus, the, radiant, the Radiance of God's Glory. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want you to imagine for a moment the most beautiful thing you've ever seen with your physical eyes. For me, physically, as far as the earth is concerned, it's, it's the Rocky Mountains. Anybody ever seen the Rocky Mountains? They're beautiful. I mean, they're, they're majestic. They're, they're almost overwhelming. They're so large. They... I, I, my wife and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about the, I asked her, I said, have you ever seen the mountains? And she said, I've seen the Smoky Mountains. And I'm all, oh, that's cute. Because <laughs> the Smoky Mountains is as big as the biggest Smoky Mountain in the Smokies is. It's like a foothill to the Rocky Mountains. They're beautiful in every way. They're breathtaking. The, I lived in Colorado when I was a young man, five and six years old, and returned there often during the summer times to, to visit my other set of grandparents who lived there until they passed. And I can remember they would take us on a train ride. There was an old-fashioned train ride, dinner train, and they'd take us through the, through the mountain pass on this train. You'd have dinner there, and you'd make it all the way to the top, and then they would spiral back down to, to the bottom. And I can remember looking at the, just the, again, the, the majesties, really the only word I can come up with, but the brilliance of the ice peaks and the highland lakes and how pure and clean they were. And, Every now and then you'd see wildlife, you'd see the elk out there and that kind of stuff. And, and I could just, I just remember, and even at 15, 16 years old when I was there in the summertime, thinking, man, this is, I, 
It's overwhelming. There's no way I could tell you, sitting in here, how beautiful the Rocky Mountains are. There's only one thing in my life that I've experienced more beautiful than that. And that is the family that God's given me. I can remember when my daughter, my youngest daughter was two years old-ish. She had learned that if she stripped completely naked, it, it made me, it frustrate me. And so she stripped completely naked one day. She comes out of her room and goes running around the house giggling because she wants me to chase her, put her clothes back on her. But she didn't just do that. She'd taken a bag of Doritos, like the really big family pack bag of Doritos, dumped them out in her floor and then set them on top of her head the bag on top of her head like a chef's hat and so it was sticking way up and other than that she was completely naked and she come running out of her room and she looked at me in the living room make sure I saw her because that was her whole purpose and being disobedient and naked and then she ran just giggling all the way around the house through the island in the kitchen and the living room and all that just anticipating and there was such joy there there was a beauty there that I it's hard for me to to put into words my wife there's two things that makes my wife really happy um, one of them is me, <laughs> right? Well, but maybe not. I try. Two things. Have you guys ever seen someone with so much joy on their face that their smile seems to swallow their whole face? Like they literally smile with their whole face? There's two things that makes my wife do that. And to me, I'll tell you, the reason I'm telling you this is because in those moments, she's radiant brilliantly, indescribably radiant. And they're, they're silly little things, but they're, they're significant to her, and therefore they're significant to me. One of them is the, uh, the fair. We go to the fair, she gets on Pharaoh's Fury. Y'all know what that is? So it's like this great big pirate ship, and it doesn't do anything fancy, it just swings back and forth, right? But it swings real high in the air. And she always gets on the very end, so she gets as high as she can in the air. And I'm on the ground because I take pictures, and this stuff freaks me out. I'm scared of heights. But even from the ground, as I'm taking pictures, like you can't see her. I don't know if you've ever seen my wife just really smile like her eyes disappear, and she just gets this, just this magnificent, thrilling smile on her face. And in those moments, man, I know, I know that I know that I know that she, 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 she's happy, you know? And the other time, the second time, like I told you, there's twice, is, uh, and I didn't see it again. It's the only other time I've seen it. I took her for Valentine's Day to go ballroom dancing. And let me my, tell you, my A-frame's my a pretty on point, just so y'all know. But as we would step, he'd be, so our instructor would go, and step, and step, and step, and step, and step, and step, and step. And, and so I would, and step, and ooh, uh, uh, uh. And I would bump into her, she'd bump into me, we'd step on each other's feet because it was our first time. And every time her face would just grow, grow, glow <laughs> with a radiance, a beauty that's incomprehensible. I would, I would go to ballroom dancing every minute of every day if I could guarantee that look when she looks at me. I, I tell you these three things, the issue of nature and my child and my wife to tell you that some things that are so beautiful, no matter how hard you try, you can't put them into words. And all of you have your own thing. You know, there are people that love the beach. My wife's favorite place is the beach. She likes the ocean. That's her happy space. 
for Brother Leonard, I'm, we've never talked about this, but I dare say it's looking through a scope at a mule deer in Montana somewhere. <laughs> something along those lines. All of us have something that we just can't tell you exactly why we think it's beautiful, but we know that it is to such a degree that we can't explain it. And as much as we talk about these things, as much as we try to explain the magnificent beauty of these things, the glorious radiance of these things, there's something even more gloriously radiant than all of them put together. And that is God is displayed in the life of Jesus. And so I want to talk to you about that today. How, in, according to the scripture, Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, Jesus is that greater representation of God's radiant glory. Hebrews 1 through 3, if you'll read with me, says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. As is often the case, there's about ten points I could make from this set of texts, but I have a limited amount of time, and so I try to figure the best way to, to describe it. And so we're going to use these verses. And the first point is, the radiance of God's glory is seen in Jesus' divine nature. The radiance of God's glory is seen in the Jesus' divine nature. It says it here, he says, And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Which means he's an exact copy. He's an exact reproduction of God. This is the whole premise, the thesis statement behind the sermon series. That if we look at Jesus, we see God. He is exact personal and perfect reproduction of God. There is nothing that God is that Jesus isn't also. Amen? And I can prove this to you in Scripture, and I will. Colossians, two places. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image. If you look that word up, it means perfect likeness of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Colossians 2.9, For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of deity. So all the characteristics and the nature of deity dwells in bodily form. And so when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, you see the divine nature of God. Amen? And so I want to talk to you about that, about his divine nature, because whatever is expressed of God is also true of Jesus. And I've got one Pastor Rick asks me all the time, he says, because I tend to get in my own head sometimes. And I'll, I'll, I'll bring out points that may not necessarily be important or significant or as significant as they could be if I reworded them. And so he'll read a sermon every now and then because I still send them to him for the purpose of accountability. And he'll look through it and he'll, say, he'll look at me and say, so tell me, 
What is the one thing that you want them to know? If they didn't hear anything else you said, what is the one thing you wanted them to know? And here's the one thing that I want to reveal, that I want to expose today. Is that God is beautiful. That he is perfectly radiantly beautiful. And he's radiantly more beautiful than any of us could ever comprehend. But I'm going to try for the next 30 minutes or so talk to you about what I know of God and what I hope too you can come to know of God and then provoke you to read your word so that you might reveal or God might reveal more of himself to you. Amen? And so let's talk about some characteristics of God. And I, There's about 50 I could go over but I've, I've isolated four of them. And there's a reason why I've done that. One, for the matter of time. But two, I really want to focus here. Number one, God is infinite. And if God is infinite, that means what? Jesus was infinite. Jesus is infinite. What does this mean? That means He is boundless. There's no end to Him. Everything about His nature, everything about who He is, always has been, always will be. His love for you is infinite. His mercy over you is infinite. His compassionate understanding is infinite. His desire to lift you up is infinite. His desire to, to pour out into your life is infinite. His desire to hold you accountable is infinite. His justice is infinite. There's nothing about Him that isn't infinite, boundless, uncontainable. And so I'm studying this lesson in a... And I come to this realization as I'm trying to figure out what to say, what not to say. Because when you're talking about revealing the beauty of God, where do you stop, right? And so I'm trying to figure out what I, what I should say, what I shouldn't say. And it, this, is what, this is what I believe to be true. It's impossible. It's as though you took all the water and all the oceans of the world and put them in a drinking glass. Him being all the oceans in the world and my finite mind being the drinking glass. But you know what I, I'm determined to do for the rest of my life? Pour what I can into this glass and drink it. And then pour more into this glass and then drink it. And then pour more into this glass and then drink it. And if I do that every day for the rest of my life, I still really, in comparison to how magnificent he is, have really only filled up one glass. He is that infinite. There's no end to Him, no beginning to Him. He is boundless. I know, right? Get your head around that. There's a reason why this is important. Because every characteristic that He has is also infinite. Because everything that God is, He is perfectly. And so if He is infinite, if He is boundless, He is perfectly boundless. 1 Kings 8.27 says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. The billions and billions of miles that is the universe, the word of God says, the sky and the heavens cannot contain. Because that which has been created can't contain that which created it. Psalms 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. Not only is He great, but He's abundant in strength. His understanding is unlimited. That brings me confidence. You know why? 
Because my understanding is limited. My greatness is limited. My power is limited. My strength is limited. But because I have attached myself through Christ Jesus to Him, I have access to what He has access to if I just believe in faith that He wants me to have it. That's so good. Like I'm ready somebody bust out a spirit flag, go run around this joint for a minute. Right, don't do it. But I, but I mean, if I, I could get where you would. If you truly take into consideration the infiniteness of the God that we serve, this is what I think you'll come to. His love for you is infinite. I'm pausing on purpose. Because so many of us have convinced ourselves that his love for us is based on our limitedness. That because I'm not, insert whatever you think you're not here, he can't love you past what you aren't. I'll tell you, that's not true. The God that is infinite loves infinitely. The God that expresses compassion over his people expresses compassion intimately. And we all know compassion is mercy in action. He wanted to demonstrate mercy so badly that he took action in an infinite way to take care of your sin infinitely. That's good. Somebody ought to tweet that. Not only is he infinite, he's unchanging. Yes. James 1.17 says, Every good thing and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. That's a whole other promise. With whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Which means there's no variation in him, no shifting shadow. Who he was a million years ago is who he's going to be a million years from now. Which is absolute perfection. Let me explain to you why it has to be, why God has to be perfect. And he has to have been perfect for all time. Because if he ever changed for the good, that means at some point he wasn't perfect. If he ever changed for the bad, that means now he isn't perfect. And we know because he doesn't change and he's always been perfect, he will always be perfect. Which means everything that he does is done in perfection. And you worry about your salvation? He manifested your salvation. He planned your salvation. He planned the relationship that you have with him, not you. And he, does, and he did it perfectly. And he did it unchangingly. And he did it infinitely. Man, that's good stuff right there. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to, I'm trying to show you the beauty of God, but also give you comfort in the beauty of God. So many of us walk around thinking, man, I, well, we serve this dry erase board God. And let me explain what I mean. So God's got this great big dry erase board that we think is the book of life, right? And he writes our name in it. And then we stub our toe in the middle of the night and we say a dirty word. And he's all, nope, that brother's out. And then we ask for forgiveness. He writes our name back in. 
We have a thought we shouldn't have. We didn't, we didn't ponder on the thought. It just was a thought. We rebuked it. But now I had the thought. Nope, that brother's out. We don't serve that guy. We serve a God that holds us much more strongly than many of us would care to believe. Can we have confidence in the fact that God loves us enough to truly hold us, hold us in, our, in His righteous right hand? That He is our God and we are His people. And because He is our God and He is infinite and He is unchanging, we can expect that what He gives us is also unchanging. The love that He has for us is also unchanging. Not to say there isn't a time for repentance, because there is. Don't get me messed up. But not every little thing you do is going to send you to hell. But there are things that will send you to hell. You're talking about both sides of your head. No, I'm not. Justin said it. He's back here. He was sitting over here during first service. You're not responsible for the outcome. You're responsible for your obedience. Let God worry about the outcome. This is the infinite, unchanging God that we have. He's not only infinite, unchanging, He's holy. Morally pure, absolutely free from anything wicked or evil. Untouched and unstained by the world. Set apart from the world. And that He, I originally had in my lesson, that He has nothing to do with evil. That's not necessarily true. Because he's sovereign. And he will use the evil of the world to get you back on track. People are like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't say he creates evil because he can't create that which he doesn't possess. But he will use evil to perfect his people. If you don't believe me, just go back and read Exodus. Every plague was an evil to someone. And God sent that evil. He didn't create that evil. He sent that evil. But he's morally perfect. Capable of using as a sovereign God the evil in the world to make sure that at the end of your life, you're not. That's, that's good. That wasn't even my notes, man. But that's, let me tell you, God's good. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that in my suffering, in my struggle, God shows himself faithful. You know, I told, I've told you guys a couple times about the, the health issue that I had. Hey, you know, the, the one thing that I've always been faithful to do or try to do is be thankful for the health I have, not for the health I don't have. Because when you're faithful, you trust and believe and thank God for the things that you have while trusting and believing for the things that you don't have. He is holy. Habakkuk 1.13 says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. Job 34.12 says, Surely God will not act wickedly and the Almighty will not pervert justice. In His, perfec in his perfection, in His inability to look at evil, in His inability to act evil and his his inability to pervert perfect justice because everything he is he is perfectly we see our standard of holiness 
Remember I told you I'm going to build every series on the next series. There's a reason why we talked about pursuing holiness before we talked about this. Because until we recognize that there is a need for holiness, we can't, we can't even be in the presence of God. I praise God that we have confidence to enter the throne room of grace to receive mercy and grace at our time of need. But we have the confidence that we have because He loves us. Because He has made us holy. Because He has made us righteous. It's our job to continue to pursue that righteousness. Amen? Amen. Not only is He those things, but He is omni. Omni means all. He is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. Omniscient meaning He knows everything. Omnipresent means He is everywhere. I'm going to prove this to you in Scripture. It's good. Y'all about to get your amen on. <clears throat> I told the first service, and many of you have heard this before, but you should still get excited about the Word of God no matter how many times you hear it. I read from my Bible for a reason. Because I want you to see me read from my Bible. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with looking up the Scripture on your phone or anything like that, but you ought to look at your pastor, look through the Word of God. Read from the Word of God. Because then you know that I'm truly reading. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. And in regards to His omniscience, His all-knowingness, and His omnipotence, I'm sorry, His omnipresence, this is what it says. Verses 1 through 6 speaks of His all-knowing. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Some of us, that freaks out. Wait a minute, what? He knows everything? He's intimately familiar with all my ways, the good and the bad? Yes. Why do you think he sent you Jesus? He knew you needed Jesus. He's intimately familiar enough to know your greatest need. Man, if the people that loved us knew our greatest need. But God, in His omniscience, knows our greatest need. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, which means it's too profound, it's too big for me. It's too high, I cannot attain to it. He knows more stuff than we're ever going to know. One of the incredible attributes of God that just blows my mind, there's several things that God can't do, this is the one that messes me up. God can't learn anything. That freaks me out, because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a career student. Angela tell you, I read all the time, I'm always studying something. And to serve a God that doesn't have to be taught anything, He doesn't learn anything new. And I'm not talking about for books. He knows the smallest planet in the universe, where it is, what it's made out of, what color it is. On that planet, He knows the smallest mountain. On that mountain, He knows the smallest boulder. On that smallest boulder, He knows the smallest pebble. And He knows us intimately all at the same time. Man, if that isn't 
the glorious radiance of God? I don't know what he is. That's so good. He is omniscient. He knows everything. And he knows you. This should bring us comfort. Because the, the verses that we all know is that he knows you well enough to have your name engraved in his hand. He knows the number of hairs on your head. His thoughts of you are as the sands of the seashore. You know what that is? That's 10 to the 27th power estimated by science. That's 10, or that's 27. No, 10 with 27 zeros behind it. That's a lot. I don't know how many that is, but it's a bunch. It's like a quite, it's a bunch, right? And he thinks of you that many times. 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 All at the same time. Because we serve an infinite God. I'm trying to describe the Rocky Mountains. I ain't quite getting it done. He's not only omniscient, he's omnipresent. Psalm 139, 7 through 10 says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. He's not where he is for the sake of being where he is. There's a promise in that, and that is verse 10. Even there, your hand will lead me. How many of you guys are so lost, sometimes you wish, God, just take me by the hand and lead me. Give me wisdom to know where I should go. Light my path so brightly that I can't turn from the le to the left or to the right. This is the prayer that you have a right as a believer to pray. Because God knows all things and he is in all places. He will, according to this verse, lay his hand on you. But you know what? He's not just omniscient and omnipresent. He's omnipotent, which means he's powerful enough to do whatever he wants to do based on what he knows and where he is. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me? Y'all know what a rhetorical question is? It's a question that doesn't need an answer because it's absurd. It's obvious. When God asks a question because he can't learn anything, he's not looking for information. Well, he is. He's looking for you to gain information. Not because he needs it. And so when he says this, when he says, is anything too difficult for me? He's telling you legitimately, trust me. I see you, I am with you, and there is nothing, nothing too difficult for me. I hate to be cliche because it, it's gotten that way through social media, but it's, it's about time that we stop telling our God how big our problem is and start telling our problem how big our God is. Because I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how big it is. It's not that I don't care what you're going through. I do. I should say, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of how big it is, it's not infinite. And the God you serve is infinite. And he's infinite in his knowing. He's infinite in his being. 
and he's infinite in his power. And if you don't think he can control a finite problem with an infinite understanding, you have no understanding at all. Number two, the radiance of God's glory is seen in Jesus' sustaining power. It says, and he is the radiance of his glory. And it skips ahead and says, and upholds all things by the word of his power. We talked earlier in the first service, the first series, first sermon in this series about how Jesus demonstrates the power of God. And he demonstrates the power by his word, his creative word, right? And, the, and if the word says, in the beginning was God, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and then you skip to verse 14, and it says that, uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This is saying that Jesus was there at the beginning with God, was God's Word, and became flesh so that we could know who God is. And so we can prove this, that the Word created, if you'll go to Genesis and read through the first chapter, you're going to find several instances where it says, and He said, and then this was made, and He said, and this was made, and He said, and He said, and He said, and He said. By the power of God's Word, everything was created. But I'm here to tell you today, not only did He create it, but by His Word, Jesus, He sustains it. This is a blessing to us. Because we don't serve a God that wound up the clock that is your life and then walked away from it and watched till it runs out of energy. Or spin you like a top and watch you spin around in circles until you run out of energy and die. He is intimately familiar with who you are. He has sustaining power over your life. He is a sovereign God capable of taking care of all things at the same time. Remember, He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He can do it all. He keeps His hand on His creation. And you're His creation. We see it so intimately. Not just in our own lives, but in the universe itself. So let me ask you, what would happen if the moon was just a little bit closer to the earth? Twice a day, the oceans would inundate all of the land except for the highest mountain peaks. If it was just a little bit closer. Of course, we wouldn't have to worry about it after the first time because we'd be dead. But God sustains that distance. What if we were a little bit closer to the sun? At 27,000 degrees, which is what it burns, if we were a little bit closer, we would burn to death and die. If we were just a little bit further away, we'd freeze to death and die. What if the atmosphere was just a little bit different? The oxygen wouldn't be what you needed it to be. What if the world rotated a little bit slower? You'd fall off of it. What if it rotated a little bit faster? You'd be crushed by the weight of it. On and on and on and on and on. What if this world didn't travel around the sun perfectly? Eventually we'd crash into it. What if this solar system traveling through the universe at 58,000 miles an hour wasn't controlled by God? We'd eventually bump into something. But we don't. You know why? Because Jesus, by His sustaining power, created all things, were created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in, all, in Him all things hold together, Colossians 1.17. In Him all things hold together. 
I love that. Because I'm prone to just flying off. But God goes, eh, you know what? It's all right. That's the universe. Imagine your own body. What if your nerve, nerves weren't covered with skin? You'd be constant state of agonizing pain. What if your eyes didn't have tear ducts? I know it's silly, but think about it. God didn't have to give you tear ducts. He could just let your eyes be dry all the time. What if your blood didn't coagulate? First time you got a cut, you bled to death. What if your heart didn't beat in perfect rhythm? What if he didn't give you a spine and the hips that he gave you to allow you to walk and run and do the things that you do? Because he didn't have to do any of those things. But he did. You know why? Because he didn't just create it. He sustains it. Because let me tell you, at any moment, your body can go haywire. Some of us have seen our bodies go haywire. But God always does what? It's all right. Just trust me. Thank him for the health that you have. Expect him for the health you will have. Hmm. Number three. Now, you know what? Let me, let me read something to you out of Job first. He didn't just design and create all things. He orchestrates all things. I, I, didn't, I didn't tell the first service this, and I, I wish I would have. Again, I want you to just sit under the word. You guys are familiar with Job and the story of Job, or probably, if you're not, let me tell you what happens. He loses everything that he has. And when I say everything, everything. His kids, his land, his his cattle, he loses, he loses everything. He gets eat up with boils, ends up on an ash heap, poor and broken. And then to make matters worse, several of his friends come over and just talk mad trash to him for, for a long time. Man, you should just, you, what did you do? You, you, you had to do something. God wouldn't have done this to you. I'm paraphrasing, of course. They probably said, wouldn't have done this to thee, right? Because they spoke in King James English then. Having gone through all of that, God shows up. And this is what he says. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? He's all... Who are these people be talking crazy about me? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you will instruct me. That's bold talk. What he's saying is, stand up, boy. I'm going to dress you like a man. Anybody ever have a dad or a granddad talk to you like that? They're tired of hearing all your smack talk? They say, stand up, boy. I can remember my papa looking at me several times. Stand up, boy. I'm talking to you. I'm going to ask you a question. You better not lie to me. And what do you say? Not a chance. I'm getting a beating either way. It's going to be worse if I lie about it. And then he starts with this. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Verse 8. Or who enclosed the sea with doors? When bursting forth, it went out from the womb. When I made a cloud its garment, 
and thick darkness its swaddling bands. So he's saying, where were you when I did all of these things? I orchestrated all these things. I created all these things and I told all these things where they should go. I hold all of these things. And I place boundaries on it and set a bolt and doors. And I said, thus far you shall come, but no further. And here shall your proud waves stop. God determined where the ocean stopped. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place? Because God does. He's saying, because I do. I tell the sun when to come up. I tell the sun when to set. I tell you when it's time to go to bed. I tell you when it's dark and when it's going to be light. Verse 16, have you ever entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have you ever seen the deepest parts of the ocean? Because I have. I've not only seen them, I orchestrated them, I created them, and I walk in them. I am present right now in them. Woo! Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. That's bold talk. But we serve a bold guy. What's he saying? He's saying, I created it. I designed it. But I also orchestrate it. I sustain it. At any moment, any of these things could stop happening. The sun could burn out. Imagine how freaked out people would be if the sun went down at noon and we weren't in Alaska. Or if the oceans decided to do something other than what God told them to do. God sustains it by the power of his word. His word is Jesus. And number three, the radiance of God's glory is seen in Jesus' salvation. Beginning of the verse, he says, and he is the radiance of his glory. And then down below, he says, when he had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Here's the truth. The steps that he took to ensure our salvation is the greatest representation of his glory that we could ever hope to see. Jesus Christ went to the cross, died our death, assumed our penalty, According to Romans 6.23, the penalty for sin is what? Death. Jesus took that to demonstrate the glory of God. Wait, wait a minute, he did that for me. Your salvation is secondary. His glory is first. Imagine a parent taking care of an insolent child. A child that has rejected them, never wanted to love them, never wanted to spend time with them. Did everything they could to curse them or talk bad about them when they weren't around. And that parent pouring out his own life on them anyway. Does that say more about the child they received or the parent that gave? It says everything about the parent that gave. And Jesus Christ crawled upon the cross took our death and took our penalty for himself so that we wouldn't have to 
I love Psalms 51. David wrote it when he got caught in adultery and the prophet called him out. And so Psalm 51, if you've never read it, is a, is a psalm of repentance. And David said this, he said, be, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. That's Psalms 51, 1 and 2. I want you to pay attention to something. I don't think the Holy Spirit put anything in Scripture that didn't absolutely need to be in Scripture. And he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness and the greatness of your compassion. Do you know what caused God, you know what didn't cause God to extend grace to you? You. You have nothing to do with the grace that God extended to you except that you're the recipient of it. Isn't that beautiful? It's because of His loving kindness and the greatness of His compassion, mercy in action, that David said, because of these things, I ask you to do something for me. Will you blot out my transgressions? <clears throat> In today's society, that means just take something and blot it out so it's imperceptible. But in that time, blot out, if you'll do a word study on that, blot literally means it's the process of taking a chisel and removing a signature or removing a mark from a stone so that it's not imperceptible but no longer there. Some of you guys need to hold on to that. When you ask God to forgive you, He cut it off of you. It's no longer there. He didn't blot it out. It's not under something. It's gone. We need to recognize that He not only blots it, but He washes completely. He cleanses completely. I know we hear the term, God cover my sin with your blood but he doesn't do that because to cover means that it's still there it's just underneath he cuts it out of you he washes you completely and he cleanses you you see the process there he takes it from you and then makes you perfect this is what he did for us you want to talk about the greatness of God's glory the radiance of his glory and he did it and he did it perfectly and he did it properly he did it by the shedding of his blood you know the word of God says that without the shedding of blood there's no remission of sin Hebrews 9.22 says and according to the law one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were redeemed, you were not redeemed with perishable things, which means you weren't bought back with riches, with silver or gold, from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless. This was Jesus, sinless, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. The blood of Christ and because he dealt with it properly, he dealt with it once for all time. 
That's, that's awesome. Hebrews 10, 11, and 12 says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins, which was himself, for all time sat down at the right hand of God. So let me tell you what he's talking about. In the Old Testament, the, the priest would have to constantly offer sacrifice for the sins of the people. You would bring a, a sacrifice based on what sin you committed or, or what the sacrifice was for. You'd bring a different thing and that, that thing would be slaughtered. And so imagine how much the priest had to work if every person in Israel, every family in Israel had to bring a sacrifice and have that sacrifice slaughtered. Every person in Israel. Imagine how long it would take to sacrifice one animal for every person in this room. But a whole nation. These people worked themselves to death, never getting an opportunity to rest. And then they couldn't even get rid of the sin. They just pushed it forward to the next year. And then they did it again and pushed their guilt forward to the next year and then pushed their guilt forward again to the next year. They were never free of their guilt. They were always bound by their guilt. But Jesus Christ, because He gave a perfect sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, which was a, the blood of deity, once was enough. And then you know what He did? He sat down. You know what you're not going to find in the wilderness tabernacle or in the temple? A chair. There's no chair in the tabernacle. You know why? Because the priest doesn't have the right to rest. But Jesus, doing it all, rested. Sat at the right hand, having made the sacrifice perfectly once. Receiving authority from God. God says that God placed, gave him authority and placed all things under his feet. Sat him at his right hand. And in all of that, still makes intercession for you. Well, what's that mean, Pastor Jim? It means this. He's still willing to be your defense attorney. God, I know he did that. But he asked for forgiveness for it. He still belongs to me. God, he still belongs to me. God, he still belongs to me. God, he still belongs to me. And if that doesn't show the glorious radiance of God, I don't know what does.